Hey, 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 welcome to the Pastor Duke Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I hope this series on the life of David in his own words is a blessing to you. It's kind of fun to get into the narrative as, as though we were there seeing what the Bible characters saw, feeling what they felt, and making decisions accordingly because uh, as they were on their journeys, so are we. God was moving in their lives as he is moving in our lives. So it's a joy to be with you today as we continue David in his own words. It wasn't easy, it wasn't fun, but I had to learn what life felt like on the bottom. Good thing is, when I got there at Ziklag, the Lord was already there waiting for me. You learn a lot more on the bottom than you do on the top. I'm not sure I'd like to return to the bottom, but I could see so clearly now it was necessary to be on the bottom, a time of learning, to frame me into the man of God that he intended for me to be. Well, from that broken and simple cry out to God from the bottom, the seemingly endless days of wandering the backside of the Judean wilderness were abruptly over. Thank the Lord. When God moved, he moved fast. I told you of the quick and decisive victory over the Amalekite raiders. We recovered all plus all the spoils of the enemy. I was following, best I could, the Israeli-Philistine battle reports. I knew Saul had uh, taken the troops out to face off with them. Uh, reports were waited uh, with much anticipation, and the report was not good. Not good at all. Our people were defeated. Saul killed my beloved best friend in the whole world, Jonathan, also dead. A national hero. My best friend went down with his boots on. I was overwhelmed with grief. While I was mourning our losses, elders from Judah ride into my encampment and without even any discussion install me as their new king over Judah. They had all found out about the secret anointing back in my teen years by Samuel the prophet to be the next king and they were completely convinced I was the man. I'm not sure I was fully convinced but they were. From the victory over Goliath to all the victories when I commanded the forces to all the victorious raids over the enemy combatants in the Judean wilderness in the time of my exile, they knew about it all. And they were absolutely sure God had chosen me. And I sensed they were right. It's time. So in less than 72 hours, I go from the bottom to the top, king of Judah with 10 tribes of Israel still loyal to King Saul. Saul's son, Isbosheth, uh, was made more or less a puppet king in Saul's stead, but he was weak. Political backroom deals were ruling the day. Abner was the valiant captain of the military and carried more clout than any of the other wannabes, and Isbosheth uh, feared Abner for obvious reasons. I was 30 years old now and king of a divided nation. God got me to where I was, not by might, 
or taking things into my own hands. Boy, those were hard lessons. But by his spirit and his providential hand working in my life. So I chose not to lead into a civil war to settle the issue between Judah and Israel. I chose to wait upon the Lord. Let God do what he willed. I wasn't vying for power. I chose to be submitted to him who had all power. Well, here's how it all came down. Abner was the key man. He was torn between his loyalty to Saul and Saul's family and me. He knew also of Samuel's anointing me, and it meant a lot to him. It carried a lot of weight. He had huge respect for me since the moment he saw me step out onto the battlefield with Goliath. He saw the hand of God upon me, saw the parade of victorious. God wrought uh, victories under my command when he was serving next to me in military. He was convinced Israel's best interest would be to unite behind me. There was one early skirmish between our Judean forces under Joab and Abner's forces and Israel. And it wasn't very pretty. 360 dead on the Israeli side, only 19 dead on our side. It was so senseless, loss of life. But in that, Abner was discerning the mind and will of God over our political woes in the country. He decided for the puppet king Ishbosheth that he would concede military power to me, David. He called for a reunification summit meeting, and seven long years after I became king of Judah, I became king over all of Israel. But with that political victory, there were some dark stories mingled in as well. It seems good and evil run on parallel tracks and often arrive about the same time. That's what happened here. On Abner's way home from the summit, my captain, Joab, who was not involved in the summit resolutions or negotiations, he used the event for his own personal gain, his own personal vendetta and vengeance against Abner. The gain for him was, with Abner dead, it would lock in his position as military captain. I wouldn't have to choose, but he would just take that matter in his own hands, eliminate Abner once and for all. But even worse, he used the peaceful summit to come alongside Abner, who thought all was well, and literally stab him in the back, killed him, murdered him. It was a personal act of vengeance upon Abner, whom he hated. You see, back in the earlier days when we were a divided nation, in a minor military skirmish between our forces, Joab's younger brother Asahel uh, went personally after Abner, and Abner warned him, hey, dude, battle is over. If you pursue me any further, I'm fighting back. Asahel chose not to retreat, continued to come after Abner, and Abner did what he said he would do, and he slew Asahel. But it was against Abner's will, but Asahel was needlessly dead as well because of his own stupidity. It's amazing how people vying for power do such senseless and evil things. From generation to generation, it never changes. So all these years later, 
Joab tricks Abner to thinking it was a peaceful reunion when all the while it was pure vengeance, hate, and maybe a little jealousy added in as well. So the great man of God, Abner, is now dead. Put a stain on my administration. Looking back, it might have been best for me to fire Joab on the spot and send him to one of our cities of refuge to live out his days. I hugely respected Joab's valor, but could no longer completely trust him as before. I made it clear to the nation as they mourned the loss of the hero Abner that I too held Abner as a mighty man of valor and a good man. Joab showed absolutely no remorse. Joab was not happy with my public praise of the good man that he had murdered. There'll be a whole lot more coming on the Joab part of my story. It's so interesting, the different people God brings into our lives. My jealous brothers in the early days who put me down publicly at the Goliath event. My beloved Jonathan, son of Saul, who was willing to relinquish his position as prince and give it to me. Oh, thank God for Jonathan. My unfaithful wife, Michael, Jonathan's sister. An unfaithful wife, Abigail, who kept me from vengeance. Samuel, who mentored me. Saul, who loved me before he hated me and tried to take my life on a hundred occasions. Here's my buddy Joab, so awesome in many ways, yet corrupt in others. I think God wants us to learn from all of them. Some will be a blessing, some will be a burden, but we can learn from them all. There surely was no shortage of drama in my journey with God to becoming king and reigning over the nation of Israel for some 40 years. Now I'm king over united Israel, and a truly good season followed. Enemies of Israel were going to test the resolve of the Israel's new young king. We were getting hit by one adversary after another. I guess if you're God's chosen people, you can expect the devils worshiping uh, pagans to hate you, and they did. It was battle after battle, but God's good and strong hand of deliverance was upon us. Victory after victory ensued. Thank you, Lord. And Joab did a good job leading from battle to battle. Each victory was adding to our political stability and prosperity. Our economy was good. Security was gaining strength as pagan adversaries were learning the hard way. Don't mess with Israel. God said, I'll bless those who bless the Jew and curse those who curse the Jew. They only have, the Jews have only one God whom they cannot even see, but whoever he is, he is a great and mighty God. So on the political, economic, military front, you might say, all was well. But sadly, on the personal front, I was struggling. I was struggling with the boy-girl issues of life. And all Israel could see, I kind of lived in a glass house. And my poor choices were turning my house into a bit of a madhouse. It seemed I had no boy-girl issues in the days of my youth. 
those early years, yes, I had lots of temptations along the way, especially when the girls were singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. But I was so focused on God, on God's glory in being the man of God I needed to be, I passed all those early tests with flying colors in reference to the boy-girl thing. But that awful day in the wilderness when news came back to me that Michael, my first wife, left me for another man. Her hand had been given to me by her father Saul in marriage. Saul, to spite me, to hurt me, to destroy me, gave her hand to Altai. And she was in bed with another man. Man, that really, really hurt. It seems I never really recovered. I had been a one-woman man all my life. I did fine for many years without any woman in my life while away from Michael in the wilderness. Then, as I had said before, whammo. Two, not one, but two new wives in one week. What was I thinking? Sweet Abigail and Ohenoam the Jezreelite, both in the same week. That just wasn't fair for either of those wonderful women. I guess when I was no longer giving all of me to one unfaithful woman, I chose to give a part of me to many women. Not a good choice at all. So now, in power, women were available to me at every turn. And I indulged and married many more wives. It was a common practice in our time for kings to have many wives, but it was not commanding respect among the populace. The people knew I had problems. This would really come back to haunt me. I always justified myself. I always blamed Saul and Michael for abusing me. It wasn't right what they did. It surely was a weak spot for me at this time of my life. And it would open the doors for Satan to nearly destroy me and bring such pain into the lives of so many innocent people. I really don't want to tell you this part of my story. But lest ye think more highly of me than you ought to think, my dark side took control. One night, which would forever blemish my record and bring horrific pain in the hearts of so many people who love me, people that I loved, so needless. There is a price to pay for bad choices. Might I begin here? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. After a long string of military victories, when I personally went to the front, uh, commanded the respect of the nation, commanded the respect of the military, one battle came when I did not go to battle. I sent Joab in the military. I didn't take the risk this one time. Many of my advisors thought me foolish to go to battle when I was king. They told me I was too valuable to go out and take the risk. I'm thinking, hey, it isn't me taking a risk. It's me allowing God to show himself mighty on my behalf. But for whatever reasons, I didn't go. So I stayed home. I sent out the army. It was an awkward time. A lot of people say idleness is the devil's workshop, and it surely was 
for me. With my palace at the top of the hill, I could look down into the courtyards of many, if not most, of the homes in Jerusalem. And as I did that fateful night, at fateful evening, I saw a beautiful woman bathing. I should have just turned and walked away, but I didn't. I stayed, I looked, I watched, I lusted, I wanted. And though I had a dozen beautiful wives, I lusted for just one more woman. Lust, I learned, is never satisfied. It blinded me that night. Sanity left my brain. I acted upon my lust. I sent for her. One of my faithful servants knew her personally. Her name is Bathsheba. She's wife of Uriah the Hittite. Don't do it. Uriah is Joab's armor bearer. He warned me, but I didn't listen. I heeded not that last warning. I sent for her just after dark. She responded, having no clue as to why the king would summon me and at night. Did he have military news about my husband? Whatever. She came, and I became an adulterer that night. She became an adulteress. According to the Levitical law, which I sang about, I wrote about, I taught to others, I lived by, according to the law, I deserved to die, and so did Bathsheba. It was a one-night stand, and I purposed to cover it up and live as though nothing had ever happened. But God knew. About five weeks later, guess who knocks on my door? Yeah, Bathsheba, with huge news. She says, I'm pregnant. All the while, her husband had been away on military duty. Uh, I realized I got a problem here, a huge problem. What should I have done? I should have confessed my sin on the spot. I should have repented from my sin, asked forgiveness, put my faith and trust in the God who I professed to serve. But confession and repentance never even entered my sick mind. I went into complete cover-up mode. And as I did, I found the cover-up can only get you in deeper. So I summoned Uriah home from the battlefront. One of my finest men, a Hittite, who converted to Judaism, which only made him hated by his own people. But he was one of us now. He jumped in with both feet. He loved the Lord. But he found the true God of heaven, makers of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to be his God. He joins our military, climbs up through the ranks, and became Joab's personal armor bearer. He is on the inside of all operations, devout, respected, brave, an amazing man. Uriah arrives, gave a good report. I gave him leave. Go home tonight. Be with your wife. I thought I had covered it up. He would go home, be with his wife, and find out about five weeks later she is with child and think it was his baby, and it would come about a month premature, and all would be well. My sin covered. My life would go on as normal. But guess what? 
Uriah did not go home. He camped on the palace front porch. I was shocked to see him the next morning. I asked him, why did you go home? I'll never forget this mighty man of valor's humble and spirit-filled response. Uriah said, number one, sir, the ark of God is at risk. Sir, number two, my fellow soldiers are sacrificing in the fields away from their wives and families. How could I be so brass as to call myself a leader and sacrifice less than they? I will not return to comfort and pleasure until the battle is won. I was shocked. Fear, evil fear, was gripping my heart. It's in full control now. My faith was out the window. I had him drink some wine. <laughs> Got him a little bit liquored up, thinking perhaps the wine might uh, have him give in to his masculine urges. But it did not. Next morning, he's still there. I'm so ashamed of what I did next. I wrote a death note for Joab to put Uriah in the front line of the hottest battle and then have all of our troops desert him, leaving him alone to receive the full flurry of the enemy attack alone. Be sure he does not return alive. I wrote it. I sealed it with the imperial seal and had Uriah personally carry his own death warrant to his commander. Joab must have been shocked to read it, but he complied. He carried out my evil orders to the letter. He knew my sin, and he would use it against me for the rest of his days. He now had a trump card. Here's Uriah. Now, with the right God, with the right heart attitude, you know, God first, the ark of, of, of God is not where it needs to be. Others second, oh, the other men are out in the field. I can't go be with my wife and himself last. God first, others second, self last. I remember when that was my mantra. Now it was his and the king for whom he was willing to sacrifice his life for is now taking his life. Oh, what a fool I was. All the while his king was sleeping with his wife and his commander complies with the king's evil orders to have him murdered. You know, the day will come on the other side when I must meet back up with this wonderful man and he'll know it all. It'll be a sad day for me, probably a sad day for him. But a lot of strange things happen along the journey. Satanic attack, God's leadership, obedience sometimes, disobedience foolishly at other times. Bathsheba had no clue as to what I had done. She finds out soon her husband is dead. I was so ashamed of what I did. Only Joab really knew about it. My secret was now safe. I had covered my tracks. I would marry Bathsheba and make myself look like a benevolent king, taking in the widow of a fallen soldier 
and her being with child. Oh, how it made me look like the good guy to the people when God knew better. So that's what I did. I lived this lie for over a year. I still went to the tabernacle with my offerings, still did music and public worship. I went through all of the right outward motions, but deep in my heart, I had to live with my sin. And I knew one day my sins would find me out. I was so right about that. I knew I was so wrong, and the day would surely come when the bubble of my big lie would burst. Sadly, I'll share that fateful day next time. Nathan the prophet was going to make a house call on a king. Well, friends, thanks for listening in again to the life of David in his own words. I trust it's a blessing to you. I trust the Spirit of God will put you into the narrative and uh, glean from it. And wise men learn from their own mistakes. Wiser men learn from other people's mistakes. And so, so next time, I uh, appreciate if you would uh, uh, share my podcast with your friends and uh, like it and all that business. Help me get the gospel at the end of the year. So until next time, Lord bless you. Bye-bye for now.